0: Hey guys, it's Tana. Thanks for coming to hang out with me again on another episode of the Oddity Potty Podcast. I know I often joke about Memphis being the place where people go to sell their soul to the devil in exchange for the power to play a mean blues guitar, but that's not exactly accurate. The place you actually need to go to do that is about 100 miles south in Clarksdale, Mississippi. Memphis is where you go once the deal is made because the devil makes the deal, but Memphis makes you famous. Since the early 1900s, the city has been a mecca for aspiring musicians to showcase their talents at clubs and bars on Bill Street in hopes of making it big. And for decades, the go-to place after the gig was a little juke joint called Ernestine and Hazel's. It's a place where some of the most famous names in music history grabbed a post-show beer, a hog dinner, and maybe a little something extra upstairs for a few dollars more. It is also a place that is now very, very haunted. This is the story of Ernestine and Hazel's. As legend has it, an aspiring musician named Robert Johnson had been busting his tail to make a living playing the blues. But his skills have been described by fellow musicians as, quote, embarrassingly bad. So, at some point in the 1930s, Robert made a midnight trip to the crossroads of Highway 49 and 61 in Clarksdale, Mississippi, where he met a large, dark figure who took his guitar, tuned it, picked out a few songs, and and then returned the instrument to Robert, who was then instantly transformed into a master blues guitarist. Robert Johnson was an interesting character. He was born in Hazelhurst, Mississippi in 1911 and died when he was only 27 years old. In his brief life, he was married twice and was twice a widower. Both Mrs. Johnson died within a year of marrying Robert, and family members attributed these deaths to Robert using his newfound talent of playing the devil's blues instead of gospel music. Robert never remarried after the death of his second wife, but he did have countless women who thought he was their boyfriend. He also had at least eight different last names to ensure that none of the ladies ever got wind of each other. He had a real weakness for whiskey and women, and in the end, that's what killed him. Only three short years after making his alleged deal with the devil, he was poisoned by a bottle of whiskey that had been spiked by the jealous husband of one of his lady lovers. Allegedly. The story of Robert Johnson has been studied and argued by scholars for decades. And whether it's true or not, one thing is for certain. Memphis isn't where you sell your soul. It's where you get famous for playing the soul. Countless artists have made their name in Memphis. And I'm not just talking about Elvis Presley or even Justin Timberlake. Some of the most well-known blues and soul singers in the world got their start playing in downtown Memphis clubs. Most notably, one called Club Paradise. And when one played at Club Paradise, the after party always took place at a juke joint called Ernestine and Hazel's. Ernestine and Hazel's is located 351 South Main Street, and it was originally built to be a church in 1906. But what it ended up housing was something far more interesting. From the early 1900s into the late 1950s, the building operated as a drugstore owned by a man named Abe Plow. Abe was a pharmaceutical genius who created one of the first hair-straightening products in the world, as well as the suntan lotion he called Coppertone. You may have heard of it. You may have also heard of the pharmaceutical company he eventually ran called Shearing Plow, which made, among other things, Claritin, Vitorin, Suboxone, Nasonex, Levitra, Afrin, and dozens of other blockbuster drugs. While Abe was off creating these meds and getting rich, A pair of cousins or some sources called them sisters named Ernestine Mitchell and Hazel Jones were renting the top floor of the drugstore to run their hair salon business and, incidentally, were using a ton of Abe's hair straightening product. When Abe became overwhelmed with the demands of his successful business ventures, he gave the building to Ernestine and Hazel. He figured they could replace the pharmacy with a sundry store or, you know, a little gift shop or something. But by this time, it was almost the 60s, and what everyone was going nuts for, in addition to long straight hair that was parted in the middle, was rock and roll. Ernestine and Hazel opened a juke joint on the bottom floor of the old pharmacy. Yeah, the sign said read, Ernestine and Hazel's Sundry Store, but there was no sundrying going on. Food and drink and a good time upstairs was pretty much all they sold. For less than $3, you could get a maw, neck bone, or a fried chicken platter. If you had another 18 cents to waste, you could splurge on the fried fish dinner. Ernestine's husband, Sunbeam, yes, Sunbeam. Sunbeam opened his own business nearby, a place called Club Paradise. Club Paradise hosted soul, rhythm, and blues acts such as Bobby Blue Bland, B.B. King, Helen Wolf, Muddy Waters, my favorite, Tina Turner, Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, Chuck Berry, Bo Diddley, Isaac Hayes, and the list goes on and on and on. You get the picture. This place was rock and soul heaven. And after each show, Sunbeam moved the party to Ernestine and Hazel's, where the crew could get food and drink and other types of entertainment. The salon booths upstairs where Ernestine and Hazel had spent many an hour teasing the fonts were converted into eight separate rooms that one could rent by the hour if they were looking to tease something other than hair's. Ernestine and Hazel allowed local sex workers to peddle their wares to after-show guests and placed benches in the hallway where the men could sit and wait their turn. And those benches are still there to this day. The rooms are now color-coded and themed. There's a red room, a black one, a green one, and so on. In one of those rooms is a piano that Ray Charles used to play as he visited with the ladies. It's also said that he used to shoot heroin in one of the upstairs bathrooms. The nonstop party times went on in Ernestine and Hazel's like this for two decades. There were multiple deaths in this area, 12 in all, if legend is to be believed, with a 13th to come much later. Drug overdoses, shooting, suicide, and more than a few the result of some brothel action gone bad. A wise man once said, quote, never snatch a cigarette out of a stripper's mouth. It's serious biz, end quote. That's sage advice that one man must not have taken, as it said that at least one of the deaths at the club was the result of a man getting too handsy with one of the girls. There are many hazards of sex work, and the ladies who worked upstairs at Ernestine and Hazel's fell victim to many of those. Stories abound of these vulnerable ladies committing suicide or being murdered in the private rooms. People have often reported feeling disembodied hands grab their own as they reach the top of the stairs, as though someone is ushering them somewhere, as the sex workers would have done when welcoming their customers into the upstairs sanctum. Like I said, each of those rooms upstairs is now painted a different color, but it's the black room that seems to get the most paranormal activity. Maybe this is because a sex worker was said to have been stabbed to death there. According to writer Joel Seals, who spent a whole weekend at Ernestine and Hazel's two years ago and then wrote about it on soldout.com, one guest actually left a letter for the bartender explaining that she'd felt herself being stabbed in the shoulder in the room and had felt sorrow and the pain of the woman who had died there. Another death that was said to have taken place in the black room was the suicide of a sex worker who jumped from the window. The window was then bricked up, and it remains bricked up to this day, which is an eerie reminder of that tragedy. The spirit of the woman is said to appear only to men and not women. Joel also wrote that the radio in that room had a habit of turning itself off and on or lowering and raising the volume depending on who was in the room. You need to go check out his article on soldout.com. It's a couple years old, but it's really fascinating. And if his story about the radio wasn't strange enough... There's also a painting of this milky-skinned, red-headed woman hanging on the wall. And the painting itself isn't the weirdest thing either. The fact that no one, not even the employees who have worked in the bar for decades, can tell you where that painting came from or how it got into the room is pretty dang creepy too. But because of that, no one dares to take it down. Stories of ghost sightings include seeing sex workers in the 60s and 70s attire walking up and down the stairs as well as hanging out in the bathrooms. One story I heard was from a girl who walked into that bathroom and was startled to see two women staring back at her when she opened the door, a brunette and a redhead. She uttered a hasty apology and quickly shut the door to await her turn. And she waited and waited and waited Finally, she tapped her knuckles on the door to remind the ladies that she was still needing to use the loo, but to no avail. I can sense this lady's desperation because I have a bladder the size of a quarter, and if I'm drinking beer, I need to use the bathroom about every 10 seconds. So this woman did what I would have done and eased the door open a crack just to ask if they were finished. But even through that small crack, she could sense this unearthly silence in the room. When she finally got the nerve to open the door all the way, it was, of course, empty. That story really gave me chills. It was like the Shining vibes. Whether it was one of these ladies or any one of the hell-raising honky-tonkers who gave up the ghost under the neon lights at Ernestine and Hazel's, some sort of spirit settled down inside the jukebox and became its most famous ghost. This isn't just any haunted jukebox, though. It's a nosy, eavesdropping jukebox who will listen to your conversation and bust you by suddenly playing a song related to it. So don't roll up into Ernestine and Hazel's and start talking about your side piece because the jukebox will likely start playing Say My Name. The only thing worse than an eavesdropping jukebox is one that could read your mind. Imagine tying one on with your significant other and the jukebox suddenly starts blaring a song like Girl Don't Go Away Mad, Just Go Away or Jessie's Girl. That jukebox shenanigans might even be able to be blamed for a murder or two, or at least some breakups. Some of the most often repeated stories include that one time that that woman came in with our girl squad to celebrate getting a divorce and D-I-V-O-R-C-E by Tammy Winnett came on. Another time, a group of bar flies and manager Russell George were talking about exorcisms for some strange reason at the bar when Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones came on. Then there was the time that the bartender and some regulars were talking about James Brown's death when, I feel good, suddenly came blaring on. And the thing is, most of the time when this happens, no one has put any money in the dang thing. It just sits there and suddenly pops up when the spirit moves it, so to speak. One former employee said that one night after the jukebox kicked on on its own, she went over to check it out. And as she was poking around, She felt the unmistakable touch of a hand on her body, an invisible hand. Notice, I said former employee. In the late 80s, Ernestine and Hazel decided to finally slow their roll and retire to Florida or wherever the heck they wanted. They'd earned it. In 1992, they sold the bar, and a fellow by the name of Russell George was brought in to manage it. Russell was locally famous for his sweet dance moves and his love of the blues. He was sort of like a Sunbeam 2.0, if you will. Russell had big plans for Ernestine and Hazel's. It was he who converted the upstairs brothel into an eight-seat bar, and he recruited a gentleman named Nate Barnes, also known as Mr. Nate, to tend it. Russell also came up with the genius idea that put Ernestine and Hazel's on the culinary map. He did away with the Hogmaw and neckbone dinners in favor for a one-item menu. It was a flat top grilled beef patty covered with cheese, sautéed onions, pickles, mustard, and a secret soul sauce, all served on a toasted bun. This slice of heaven is served with a side of Zappos potato chips. This simple yet absolutely perfect concoction is known as the Soul Burger. The Soul Burger is still so popular today that around 300 of those suckers fly off the grill and land in someone's belly every single night. Three hundred! That's a lot of grease. My mouth is just watering, just thinking about what your clothes would smell like after a night standing at the grill. Those grease burns would be so worth it. Maybe I should put in my application as a weekend grill cook. Sadly, though, Russell George, the creator of the Soul Burger, became the 13th person to pass on behind the walls of Ernestine and Hazel's. Unbeknownst to many folks, Russell had been quietly battling cancer. On Sunday night, September 9th of 2013, Russell closed and locked up his beloved bar that had been his second home for more than two decades. Then he went and had a seat in his office to rest his bones. His body was found the next day when workers arrived to open the bar. Russell George died at the way too young age of 62 of his self-inflicted gunshot wound. Ernestine and Hazel's has seen some legendarily good times and some incredibly dark ones as well. In addition to winning multiple awards for the Soul Burger and for Best Dive Bar, it's also, for obvious reasons, a favorite spot for paranormal investigators. Local ghosters pass through there on the regular, as well as professional paranormal society groups. There have been a few reports of the apparition of a man carrying a white pillar candle inside the bar. One visiting group of paranormal investigators claimed to have seen this man outside on the street after closing time. While my mind's image of this is spooky AF, and one of my biggest fears is a ghost attaching itself to me and following me home, I'd think that there would be pics floating around if paranormal investigators saw it, but alas, though I've scoured the interwebs, I have come up empty-handed. So give me a holler if you've seen it. In 2019, a grim discovery was made inside the bar that really solidified the stories about murders and deaths that happened on the property. The new owners of Ernestine and Hazel's were tasked with making some necessary repairs to keep the bar up to safety code. As contractors took down a wall next to those famous stairs where people claimed to have been touched by phantom hands, a pile of bones that were hidden behind the plaster fell out. Action News 5 out of Memphis reported on the discovery and interviewed one of the contractors, Chris Tigner, who said that when he realized what had fallen out of the wall, the crew was so shaken that they all fled from the building and had to take a breather outside to gather themselves before they dared to go back in. Broski was shook. Inside the wall, Tigner also found a drawer with a hidden compartment. And inside this drawer was a 1940s hubcap, an empty bag of peanuts, and an empty liquor bottle. The bones were sent off for forensic analysis, and although they didn't turn out to be a pile of leftover neck bones that Ernestine and Hazel couldn't sell for supper, they were not human either. The bones belonged to a cow. Now, why would someone plaster up cow bones inside of a wall, much less a drawer full of seemingly random junk? I have a guess. Liquor and nuts are offerings that are commonly used during voodoo rituals to invoke Papa Legba or Baron Samiti. Papa Legba is the gatekeeper of the spirit world, and Baron Samidi is the gatekeeper of the underworld. In order for them to help you, you must submit a formal request along with an offering such as rum, whiskey, or roasted peanuts. And once Papa Legba is appeased, he will grant you access to the other voodoo spirits, one of which is known to have an affinity for raw beef. One can conjure both Papa Legba and Baron Samiti at a crossroads. And after the ritual, you need to bury the ritual items at a crossroads. And wouldn't you know it, Ernestine and Hazel's sits smack at the corner of a crossroads. So if someone did a voodoo ritual inside of Ernestine and Hazel's, they would not be able to bury the ritual items beneath the asphalt on the streets, but plastering it up inside a wall would suffice. And one more thing. The first thing that you need in order to summon Papa Legba is to light a white pillar candle. Now, I'm not saying that anyone did voodoo in the building, but if they did, it would be on brand, no? Since the day that Ernestine and Hazel's opened in their juke joint, it's been an anything-goes kind of place, as so long as there's no, quote, dope smoking, no cursing, and no freeloading. If anyone knows whether the legendary stories that make up the colorful history of Ernestine and Hazel's are true or not, that would be Mr. Nate who is still tending that eight-seat upstairs bar nearly 30 years after Russell George sweet-talked him into the job. In an article published on Vice.com in 2017, former bartender Karen Brownlee details her experience working at Ernest & Hazel's for more than a decade. Like Mr. Nate, Karen was also recruited by Russell George. The two met when she was working at the butcher shop where he regularly bought the ground beef to make soul burgers. The two became friends and the rest is history. Karen herself contributed to a lot of the lore that is the Ernestine and Hazel's legend. She was present for and can vouch for the validity of many of the famous stories about the haunted jukebox, the redhead in the black room, and much, much more. And in some cases, she's the only one who can verify a paranormal story because she's the only one who experienced it. In the Vice article, Karen claims to have heard the upstairs piano that Ray Charles was so fond of playing by itself when the bar was empty. She's also heard people talking upstairs when, again, she was the only one in the bar. Now, the voices heard upstairs might have been attributed to, say, Karen actually hearing people out on the street outside talking and maybe mistakenly think that the sound was coming from above her. Voices carry, so they say. But one of the men on the cleaning crew heard them, too. Typically, the cleanup crews come in early, before the bar opens, and sometimes before any staff is there at all, so they're alone while they work. This particular gentleman said that when he was alone in the building, he heard the same voices coming from upstairs that Karen had heard. And it sounds like he heard them on a pretty regular basis. He said that when he walked up the stairs and entered one of the eight rooms to clean, he'd regularly hear someone say, quote, here he is again, end quote. I've worked in plenty of dive bars and ones that were haunted by no more than the ghosts of bad decisions. But these stories legit gave me chill bumps. It's hard to explain, but being in a quiet, dark bar in the middle of the day when you're all alone is just unnatural. If you don't believe me, go into a bar that opens early and be the first one on the stool. Chances are the bartender will sling you a beer and then leave you alone while they prep the bar and such. Without the noise and distractions of crowds of drunk people, I guarantee you'll see and hear things that you'd never notice otherwise. In those quiet moments when you're all by yourself, you'll feel like the lone survivor of a party in which everyone but you ended up in the ER. Karen also says that most of the photos taken inside the bar have an orb or two in them, and some even show faces outlined in the walls. She also recounts a story about how money for deposit would regularly go missing, only to turn up beneath the couch in the pool room. Now, one might think that this could be attributed to a thieving employee who cleaned out the kitty and then it was hit with the case of the guilties and returned it, But then, why would they do it more than once? Because it's happened more than once. Karen says that one of the missing money bags had been found under the couch four or five years after it went missing. If an employee had stolen it, they'd have had plenty of time to return to the scene of the crime and retrieve the loot, right? Unless the thief had no use for the money and was just pulling a prank, as we all know that spirits like poltergeists like to do. Karen also tells a personal story about the loss of her son and about a phantom visitor who entered Ernestine and Hazel's to give her comfort. That one is quite personal, though, so I don't feel right sharing it on this podcast. If you want to read about it, check out the link in my sources in the show notes. She recounts this story in more than one of those articles. Although Karen no longer works at the bar, the last time I checked, Mr. Knight still does, and you can visit him in the upstairs lounge. A new business group recently purchased the building, but they made the promise not to change anything, and so far, they've kept that promise. You can still chow down on a world-famous Soul Burger. The brothel rooms are still open, as is Ray Charles' heroin bathroom. The ghosts of the past still roam freely in the juke joint, undisturbed by time and progress. For more than 60 years, Ernestine and Hazel's has remained, for better or worse, ragged but right. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Thanks for listening. Your support means so much. It's everything. If you haven't already, please go follow us on Instagram at Podcast. And if you want to be the most helpfulest, please go leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. And if there's something weird or creepy or strange that you'd like me to investigate and report back to you on, drop me an email at odditypodity at gmail.com. That's O D D I T Y p-o-d-d-i-t-y at gmail.com. See y'all next time.